Hi, fellow Gormaganders. And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a time-twisting podcast exploring the house parties and time loops of Star Trek. All of it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And out in the time loop is your chief engineer, Greg. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And together we're on a mission through the time loops of Star Trek to find the terrorists in every space whale and the excellence in every episode. Even the time loops. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And out in the time What's happening? Because every episode must be someone's favorite, and it might as well be us. So swallow your dark matter suppositories and join us as we time loop into the, the joy, joy of Trek. Trek. You do know uh, that you're not supposed to swallow suppositories, right? What? <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's, that's opened up some new concerns. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back and back and back to the future. <laughs> we had a little fun there with the intro. Yes. Because can you guess which episode we're doing? It's a time loop one. Right. That narrows it down to about one in ten. Well, no, not that. That's uncharitable. Yeah, I think the real big one is cause and effect from Next Generation. Uh -huh. And ooh, I had it written down in Enterprise. There was one again. Oh, good gravy! I can't find it. Chief, chief. That would be the Enterprise episode Future Tense. However, I do just have to call you out here because you're missing one of my personal favorites of the Voyager episode Relativity, where Seven has to go back in time. It's it, it just one of the best episodes because I'm also just, I'm biased. I love time loops. Man, anytime there's a time loop in anything, you, you just have me. So this is one of my favorite Discovery episodes because, ah, oh, time loops. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, whew, what a relief. No, but this time we're talking about the one in Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. Season 1, Episode 7, called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. First aired on October 29th, 2017, written by Aaron Eli Collater. I'm not exactly sure how to uh -huh. pronounce that. And Jesse Alexander and directed by David M. Barrett, who is the first director in Discovery at this point, in the middle of the first season. Yes. Who has previously directed an episode of Star Trek. Oh, wow. They went completely... Uh New crew. Non-Star Trek. I see I noticed a little time loop error of myself here. Oh, no. halfway during my note takens, I accidentally switched to the, to the uh, previous uh, page. Okay. Not, so I have to find the point in where, where, where my time loop has gone wrong, <laughs> and where I need to reinsert and start flipping over to the other page again. Oh, anyway, wow. what was the previous episode? It was, uh, we'll always have Tom Paris. So that one's... Sorry. Probably yes. really kind of weird now. I was going <laughs> flipping back and forth between Discovery and Lower Decks. They have not yet had a crossover. No. So this is an episode where, as the crew attempts to let loose at a party, Harry Mudd triggers a time loop that repeatedly destroys the ship and kills the crew in an effort to learn the secret of the spore drive and sell the Discovery to the Klingons. Okay. Ooh. Right. Well, shall we start with getting the, uh, the warp core out of the eject way? Eject your warp core. <laughs> I say we eject the warp core! That's Good luck, because I've got basically nothing. Well, I mean, that's like the oddly... Okay, like Mudd. Yes. Why is he trying, desperately trying to sell the Discovery and not his time-looping technology? Single-use device. No, clearly it's not, because he used it to rob the better side back. Or a different one. Meh. I mean, it, you, you, yeah. you saw it disintegrate at the <laughs> no, end. No, true. I, and it was over. No, so. I agree, but that, that, like I said, that's like a minor little thing. And oh, and also vengeance against Captain Lorca, who left him behind. On the, well, he was being a bit of a dick, so... He was being a lot of a dick, in yeah. fact. Uh, and but so wonderfully that the writers thought we'd need to get this guy back. Yes, and DNA passwords, really? Daily DNA passwords. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, crew, re crew, crew members report for your daily DNA change? Like, <laughs> excuse me? I think in this case, Tyler was quoting Mud verbatim, and we know right. how he liked... To my last point... Um, oh, you have a tertiary warp drive. Well, kind of. Like, it's, again, like... He could have also sold the zero-day exploit that he's using to take control of the discovery. Oh. Is he using an exploit, or is he, he has just... to. I mean, he can Groundhog Day as well, way around a thousand times, but we've seen what it takes to change command of a, a spaceship. You know, mm -hmm. a registered officer has to, like, you know, relinquish command and give his security code. He clearly doesn't do that. No. I mean, he might have done it in the past, but he would still have to do it again in every loop. To gain control yeah, of the discovery. Yeah, okay, no, that's fair, that's fair. So clearly he has a zero-day exploit. I mean, you can, like, yeah, you, you can't really just, like, wander around and, like, look over the captain's shoulder while, as he types in his password because, yep. you know, it needs to be verified and he has to do it every time around. So, oh, let's see if we can find <laughs> Unless it. Unless it's the DNA password that he manages to hack. Sure, <laughs> you. you don't get to repeat your warp dump. <laughs> 
get into this episode because it is so much fun. It is, yes, very good. So, let's see, what are we getting here? This is the first episode since 1987 that doesn't start with a teaser. Oh, okay. So, no this episode, yeah. Oh. Yep, yep, just, we have a previously on, and then we go into the credits. And this was very much like, it served two functions. It was a very deliberately sort of standalone and tonally different episode uh-huh. from the show, just to sort of show what different things Star Trek Discovery could be, because it was so serialized, yes. and dark, and like exciting and mysterious. And also, a desperate cost-saving measure. Well, I mean, it does start with a little flashback to the the, the prison cells. Those were clips from previous episodes. Yeah. But but yeah, Aaron Herberts, uh, Herberts, pardon me, one of the showrunners said, yeah, we were pretty desperate to save some money. And this just uses standing sets. Yeah. The only real special effects are the space whale. Yes, true. Yes. Erica Lippold, one of the uh, staff writers and I think later executive producers, said, let's just have one episode where it's kind of crazy and fun and like sci-fi wacky, you know, kind of comedic stuff. And that kind of all got poured into that one episode, which... uh, There's not a lot of comedy in this episode. What? Well... I thought it was hilarious. Okay, it's, it's, it's a great episode, but it's not comedy. It's pretty dark. Yeah. But it's a comedy in the way that the film called with the North Dakota Fargo. In oh. the, it's comedy in the way that like Fargo is a, right. is a comedy or like it's, it's very tragic and dark. But in the end, nobody's been harmed. No harm has been done. No, All true. of it's been yeah, uh, averted. Unt- untime looped. I mean, yes. in fact, Garrett Wong, Harry Kim remarked on this that it was uh, sort of like Discovery's holodeck episode. Yeah. Which they hadn't had. Yeah. An exciting, but ultimately consequence-free outing. Yeah. Uh, it starts by Michael uh, kind of like foreshadowing the uh, what's about to happen. That seems like... An air routine has descended upon the ship. And even I am a part of it. I've made friends. Well, one, at least. Um, She's even made some friends. She's having lunch with Tilly, your old friend, really. And everything is going well. Like, the war against the Klingons is going well. They're winning, well. yeah. Yeah, and uh, she's sort of adjusting to life on the ship. And Stamets is actually being fun instead of being a hard ass. Yes. He's got that weird sort of goofy grin, which he says is due to... Lieutenant Stamets' ability to pilot the ship's spore drive has given him access not just to all of space, but to unseen parts of his personality as well. And she finds herself intrigued by a new character who's been introduced, Ash Tyler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was uh, caught on the prison, uh, escaped from the Klingon prison planet. Yes. Played by Shazad Latif, part of the first season's attempt at a, a really sort of grand reveal and mystery with varying um, degrees of success. I think, believe there were people were onto him. Yes, because the character Volk was played by Javid Iqbal who does not appear to exist. And people notice that, hey, this actor... We don't have no idea. ...the this, page, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, I think Iqbal is, is Jazad Latif's, like, middle name, and his oh, dad was Javid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or whatever, sort of put it together. And I remember in the interviews with uh, Shazad Latif at the time, like, he was pretty bad at keeping a poker face. Uh, and I remember one where, like, Jason Isaacs, who loves this stuff, sort of came in over his shoulder, interrupting the interview, with, like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. No, it's just a mystery. Like, <laughs> <laughs> playing playing backseat quarterback was amazing. But yes, Burnham is confronted with something that is really going to tax the limits of her skills. Tonight, we are having a party. <laughs> and it looks like so much fun. The lights are going. They're listening to Wyclef Jean's remix of Staying Alive, a song that is 260 years old by now. Yep. People have, you know, flare candles and they're wearing lays and fluorescent drinks. As one does. Tilly's playing beer pong with Reese. Yep. Uh, and she's in a bit of a musician's phase right now. She says, like, <laughs> as she's, like, conferring to Burham that, yes, yeah, like, oh, go get some. That, uh, that new lieutenant, or what is his, what is his, what is his rank? Uh, Probably lieutenant. Uh, is he lieutenant? I don't know. Uh, like, why don't you check him out? He seems cool. And she, she sort of... Non too subtly tries to set them up. Yeah. Tilly asked this question, like, How does he stack up compared to your old boyfriends? And Burnham goes, mm, How does he compare to yours? Yeah, smooth. <laughs> well, I did have a bit of a soldier phase. Now mostly into musicians, but she does wind up making out with Gen Reese there in the background. I really like this whole dialogue, because Tilly has literally let her hair down. Oh. But they're doing the thing, yelling over the music. They're having a great time, all of them. Except for... 
Michael, like she's still uptight. She's standing there all Vulcan-esque. I thought that Sonika Martin-Green was already doing an amazing job because in the first shots of this uh, this episode, you see her incredible Vulcan poise, mm-hmm. straight neck, straight shoulders, perfectly efficient motion. And she's, she's still doing that sort of here, but there's a great deal of longing. Uh. Right? In just the way she's standing there. She, she wants this that everybody has, but... Uh, she doesn't I mean, know how. I can kind of relate. That's kind of how I stand at parties. It's like, right, yes. great, everybody's having a great fun time here. And like, that would be nice, you know? Yeah. I don't, I'm not a party person. It's, <laughs> Until you are. <clears throat> well, yes, but that's usually after a few drinks in me. Well, what helps us, <laughs> because I'm the same way, is having something to do. Yeah. Right? And in your case, I've, at many parts of FCU, you start manning the bar and start mm, mixing yes. things for Either uh, for that people. or I'm in the kitchen doing other things, yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's, like, that, that's awesome. Like, I, I have the cameras with me, right? I'm, I'm often the photographer yes. and then you know who to be. Our lieutenant, is he, I still don't know if he's a lieutenant. It is doesn't he? matter. He's know, Lieutenant Ash Tyler. I, I was going to say, I don't know his name, so I have to refer to him. Tyler. Tyler, right, Tyler. Is his name. Ash Tyler, as in like, ooh, chainsaw hand. Ash. Oh, from the yes, Army the of the Dead. Yes. Army of Darkness. One. That's the one. Army of Darkness, yes. Evil Dead. Got there. Evil. <sighs> Ash Ketchum from Evil Dead. Yes. yes. Groovy. So, Ash, I'll try to remember that. But he's given Let me get away with that with a Pokemon crossover, but that's fine. Uh, oh. <laughs> like, I know that he's... <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know. Ash Campbell? No, Bruce Campbell is his last name. Yes. No, down, Chief. We're not asking you. We're just having a little <laughs> argument. And, because that's what you... No, Chief, you're absolutely welcome to <laughs> to join us in, in, in one of our Patreon episodes. But right now, we're doing the thing that you do at the party, which is you have a little argument, and you're sort of getting into, into it together, and you definitely don't look it up on your phone, because no. that's a waste it's of a kill, good argument. kills the argument, yes. Oh. Oh, he's go to a Tellarite party. He's having a, quite a Klingon-esque speech, actually, about, like, wounded comrades and the 10,000 missing and all like that. So yeah. If you look at it through that light, then it's... Uh and raising a toast to a colleague in a, in a wheelchair, that's actually disabled actor George Levisos, mm-hmm. uh, who appeared in the party scene and then in later later episodes. Okay. Uh, out of respect for people who've been injured, yep. uh, we also see uh, Kayla Detmer. She was injured on the Shenzhou, and she has now cybernetic enhancements. Right. Oh, I was wondering if she was an alien or a... Uh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Um, but yes, as Ash m- mentions many times during this episode... Look at that. Safe from the horrors of small talk by duty. Because there is like a little call for Burnham and uh, catch him to go to the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you'd start this. You'd start <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he came over and Tilly subtly excused herself. Subtly. Hey, Tilly, what are you up to? I'm leaving. <laughs> you guys have fun. Uh huh. <laughs> And Tyler's about to ask her to dance, and she just sort of freezes like a deer in headlights yep. until they're both summoned away. And she rushes after him to, I guess, apologize. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't want him to think that she was blowing him off. And her sort of jogging after him and awkward sort of standing aside for some joggers that come past. Like, it's so, like, believably awkward. She's off her game and really trying something new. Uh-huh. Trying and failing, you know, to be honest with him. She, she says that she, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience with partying. And he goes, well, what about the Shenzhou? Yeah, well, my rank made it inappropriate. And, yeah. Well, there's no such thing here now. Um, but once again, saved by the bell, or in this case, saved by a very Stamets. happy Stamets. He is high as balls. <laughs> she, she apologizes and he hugs her. Like, why would you apologize? He must, have, he must have just been in the spore drive chamber huffing a new strain or something. Because, like, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, this is like this is an MDMA strain of the uh, mycelium that I oh, found. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, these are the moments that make life so gloriously unpredictable. Oh, how lovely. And then he turns to Ash. You're a very tall man. Weren't you the one that was tortured <laughs> relentlessly for several months? Yes. <gasps> Oof. That's the downside of people who are having a great time. <laughs> yes. From the mouth of babes and the, and the stoned, you know. As a husband... Hugh Culber shows up, like, apologize profusely for my partner. But Stamets isn't done. He shows off these cool cybernetic implants that he's gotten in his forearm Mm -hmm. to make the connection to the spore drive more comfortable that his resident genius has uh, created for him. And then he turns back to Burnham and Tyler and goes, What's the deal with you two? Yes. (laughs) Well, we were just avoiding that discussion. She immediately says, There is no deal. And Tyler says, Yes, specialist Burnham would uh, hate to be inappropriate. Oh, yes. Zing. 
onto the bridge we go. And man, I love this bridge. It's got this copper sheen. We get this beautiful, like, circling shot around Saru to see every, like, station and light. It's such a beautiful environment. Because they've just detected something. Yes. Shields up, phases to stand by. But fortunately, it turns out just to be a Gormagander. Which is a space whale which is endangered because of overhunting things, the captain. No, says Burnham. No, they're just like space pandas. They just refuse to f***. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're just, they're just too, busy, too busy eating to not... Uh... Well, so that's yes, depressing, says they're, Orca. They're, they're space giant pandas. But under the Endangered Species Act, they are now obligated to transport this being yes. to, uh, to the xenological facility. Right, and rather than just like open one of the shuttle bay doors and uh, tractor beam it in and leave it in a uh, vacuum uh, floating around with no gravity. No, they just transport it straight into the uh, cargo bay where there's air and there's gravity for this creature which is meant to be flying solar winds. Yeah. But we'll, we'll just like have it lying here on its belly. In you, the see it's, <laughs> you see its little sort of fins flapping down. And, and, it, and, it's, even... and, and it's outgassing, so, so all of a sudden there's like puffs of air coming out of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that read to me like just a sigh. Like, oh, oh no, for sake, here we go uh, again. It's like Marvin the Paranoid Android from the Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> Just managed to get away out of that like sanctuary and they're going to take me back again now. Oh no, I know who it is. Also from Hitchhiker's Guide, who is the, the sort of reincarnating who becomes a plant at one point? Oh, right, yes. The, it's not the, yeah, it is actually the, 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 the braggle beast of trial, as it turns out, words in the end. Uh, Chief, can you correct us on this? Yes, it co- comes back again. Yes, and it is also the it is the uh, the petunia which is falling along with the whale, and it gets killed again and again by Arthur Dent. Dent, yes, unintentionally, and the uh, and the last Dent thoughts is that completely go through his mind of- are. Oh no, not again. Slight correction: everything else you had is spot on. It's not the beast of trial, though. However, it is the agrajag. Thank you. <laughs> We've got Burnham on hand. Yes. Uh, and an unnamed science officer or medical officer in white, and they're going to investigate what's up with this space whale. Mm-hmm. What's got you so down? But then it opens its mouth, and out walks a bug-headed, glowing-eyed yes. terrorist. Really cool outfit. Who immediately starts blasting. So I started blasting. Yeah. Okay, so is this the first loop? I think so. I think right. we're watching the first... I think so, too. Simply right? b- because of Stamets' uh, response. Yes. Because yes. he hasn't been... Uh, yeah. I think that's right. And that's also how you start these... Uh, mm. yeah. Next Generation one, where they're literally... It's implied that they've already been doing this a lot of times. You know, because oh. Georgie's standing there. Well, we don't know how many times we've been doing this. And, that's uh, right. But, yes. So this... This helmet design, I absolutely love. Apparently, it was intended to be an Andorian helmet. Okay. Like referencing some original series episode where some alien wears an Andorian space helmet, you know, because they have uh, antennas on their heads. Oh, yeah. So they need the extra sort of claw things, but then they also wanted to make it look a bit more anime-y. I guess like, ew. What sort of anime creature would be referenced by this, do you I think? I mean, I'm getting more like Venture Brother like f- uh, feelings, you know. <laughs> like this is one of the mo- this is one of the monarch's uh, <laughs> henchmen. But yeah, blam blam blam, he straight up kills several of the crew members. Burnham manages to run away, grabs a communicator and informs the bridge that they're under attack. Alert. <laughs> Shots. Yeah. Shots fired. I'm not supposed to detect that automatically, but yes. Intruder deck 6 there's a little bit of uh, Going about, there's uh, more people being killed in corridors, and eventually the intruder is trapped. Who then removes his helmet and faces the security camera. camera. And here I'm thinking, they're going, do you know that guy, that YouTuber, who just, like, stares intently at the camera while he plays various bits on the piano? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's, like, there's a YouTuber, that's his thing. It's like he plays weird, usually stuff like 10 piano tunes that you know, but that you've heard, but you don't know what their name is. All while just barreling the camera? while he just barrels the camera. And that, he kind of looked like that. That's upsetting. Yes. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, maybe some people are, like, super into that. I don't know. To each their own. He's very skilled pianist. Mud is, he's starting up his gloating engine. He hasn't gotten to full strength yet. No, he's, he's a little monologuing at this point a little bit. Did you really think that you could leave me to rot in a Klingon prison and not suffer any repercussions? And now I shall have my revenge. He's really grandstanding from a position of no power, which is very confusing because, you know, he's, we've got him trapped. But he seems to think that he's in charge. And eventually he says, And I will have my revenge. 
Also, I'm going to kill you as many times as possible. How? Asks Captain Lorca and says, no, you'll find out. Wink. Wink, 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 wink. And then he sets off. Let me see. It's an interaction between Ancium and Urium, which was an explosive interaction also featured in the next generation Night Terrors. Oh, yes. I've got a huge trivia section. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird that, like, it seems like he's holding this device in his hand, but the explosion comes from the side, so... It was probably, it was uh, probably in the Gormaganda. In the ship inside yeah. the Gormaganda, yes. The ship blows up. Essentially, not too fast, but in yeah. bits and pieces. Our beautiful Crossfield class USS Discovery just yes. blows up and everyone dies. And then it's like, stay, 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 stay <laughs> in alive. Stay Which alive. I thought was a Because <laughs> everybody's back to life again. A song that you know well as a trained first aid uh, it's applicant. A good, it's, a, it's, it's one of the songs that are very good for uh, keeping pace to uh, when you're pre- performing CPR. Chest compression. My personal favorite is The Proclaimers, actually, because it's got the okay. same uh, rhythm and the verse is exactly 30 beats By long. So you, once you, when, <laughs> oh, oh, right. <laughs> so once you work your way through the verse, you don't have, have to sit there and keep count. You know, just like you just keep the... You to sing the, the song you and sing then you the do song, a breath. And then, yeah, well, and then you uh, keep the pumping up. So that's my personal that's choice. Cool. Yes, because <laughs> in the Netherlands, they still teach that you alternate chest compressions and... and Only breathing. if you want to. If you want to, yeah. yes. Yes, very important. Sorry to continue this tangent, but just a funny little tidbit. I learned how to do CPR and got certified in it about the week before in America they removed the breath part of CPR. So like I learned and I was like, oh, this is great. And then immediately after it's like, hey, what you just learned is no longer like good anymore. It's like, ah, great. And we're back at the party. Hey, Billy, what are you up to? I'm leaving. <laughs> Have fun. They're clearly making shown that yes, we're on a repeat, we're on a loop thing, but yep. they're, yeah, they're not being particularly slow about it. They're focusing mostly on the things which are different. Yes, because they don't immediately get bumped into by Stamets, so their conversation can actually continue a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, Stamets is here. Here starts already. Bernard, both of you, you need to listen to me. There isn't any time. Or rather, there is time. Too much time. This could be the first loop. This could be several loops in. We don't know. Because we learn later that Stamets... I think several at this point. Probably, yes. Because he says, what I need is for all of you placid people to finally start listening. That implies that this loop has only started a few minutes ago. So, yes, I agree. And then he says, it all starts with the Gormagander, okay? Yeah, and she's like, Gormagander? What Gormagander? And it's a space whale. And then seconds later, they're on the bridge and they see a Gormagander where Tyler and Burnham now go, okay... He's onto something. Like, there have only been 57 encounters with right. Gormaganders. How would he know that there's a Gormagander? It's like... The odds of that happening on any given day on any given starship astronomical, are astronomical. yes. As science specialist, I'm the most qualified to handle the needs of this creature. I don't give a damn. I just want it done. Notice how different he is. I, I noticed that. I've got that written down. Yeah. yeah. He, his, his, his mood and temperament changes massively between various loops. Because it's... This time, it's not Burnham telling him all about it, with, yeah. for whom he has some respect and, and tolerance. Mm-hmm. It's Saru. Ah. Saru gives all this information this time around. So he goes, oh, for crying out loud, oh, I yes. don't care. He's much more open about it. <laughs> He's deliberately showing a different side of himself, like psychopaths often do, which he totally is, Locker, as we find out right. later. Yeah. Yeah. To Burnham, then he does to Saru. But even to Burnham, when she says, okay, I would like to take points, he goes, I don't give a damn. Yeah, get it. Do it. And uh, Ash goes like, "Well, me too." Still not giving a damn. I still don't care. <laughs> In my role as sort of a, a team leader, on occasion, I've done similar things. Not quite so brutal, but like I'm making clear to people, "Yep, yeah, you don't need my permission yeah. to do your job. You, you're making all these excuses and negotiating for something that is yours already." Yeah, you don't have to convince me. Yeah. So off they go together. And sort of questioning, hey, maybe Stamets is onto something. And Tyler is now there, armed, as a security specialist. Yeah. So, one more thing, because what happens here is, this time, no bug-eyed alien comes walking out of the Gormander's mouth. Yeah. Uh, but there is a weird reading. And that was kind of already foreshadowed at the end of the previous loop, where Mud says, like... I don't see this ending with you taking my shit. Not this time. But I have all the data I need for the next. So, I will see you later. Or, rather, earlier. And that's where we learn, because now now he's somewhere else, because instead of him walking out of the mouth, there is suddenly a black alert, which is, we are going to spore jump. I didn't order a spore jump. I do not activate it, sir. Computer, show me engineering. Denied. Computer says no. Computer definitely says no. (laughs) 
and also critical drive overload in three minutes. Yep. And a very cheerful mud welcomes Burnham and Tyler as they charge into the spore chamber. Phaser's drawn. Welcome, kiddies. Make yourselves at home. I have. Notice their posture, by the way. Well, yes. Taking the corners, uh, moving around the uh, doors. Good gun discipline on uh, Ash there as he, like, points his gun at the ground as he moves around behind Burnham. Yes, uh, yes. He never crosses Burnham. Yep. Yep. Which, you know, is, is... a very reasonable consideration, considering that these weapons don't have guards on the triggers. Very true, yes. Uh, Whoever came up with that design? I don't know. The amount, the, amount of, the amount of negligent discharges must be immense when you're putting, like, people putting their phasers uh, away. Maybe there's some other like, uh, combination. Could be some, or some sort of grip interlock or something else. Or I noticed that they both have the same thing where they have a supporting hand and they have a gripping hand. Yeah. And the gripping hand shoulder is back a little bit. They've got the supporting hand shoulder forward. Which is a kind of weird stance. Would you normally do it the other way around? Uh, you're a marksman and, and right. an instructor. So in- they used to, used to be what you call the weaver stance, uh-huh. which is kind of like the other way around, where you're gripping the gun-holding shoulder. It's a little bit further back, and you're kind of thrusting it out into your other hand, which is pulling back. So you, the idea was to create a, a strong... A stable a, a, tension. A stable tension, yes. Isn't that what they're doing then? Well, kind of. Right. It's hard the, to tell. Yeah. So that's the that's supporting the, shoulder is yeah, forward. That's kind of the old fashioned shooting. Okay. These days, it's uh, generally said that you keep your arms in a collateral triangle. Triangle. Okay. So you want your shoulders straight yeah, forward. Yeah. You basically want to go stand straight forward, and both both your arms are kind of out. And ooh, but in a, you can kind of see um, Ash do that in one of the later shots as well. There. But this is combat training. And in combat training, yeah. you would want to present the smallest possible target. So you want to be yeah. walking side on. Oh, Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. None of that is of interest to Mud, who has replicated himself a goblet of whatever he's enjoying. He's eating a lot of the time. Because like another shot later on, he's eat, like eating a hamburger when he's sitting on the bridge. Oh, was that it? I, I think it was, it was like a, ham- a beignet. It could, uh, I think it was a hamburger, but it Good for could have been any flatbread, round British type thing. Tyler, you know this man. He was my cellmate. Who asks about his little bug friend that he had. Yeah. Do you recognize this actor, by the way? Mud? Uh, Mud, yeah. Uh, he looks familiar, but I don't... Like I said, he looks like that piano player on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> this is Rain Wilson. Rain with uh, a double N. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a comedian. He's a fantastic comedic actor. Most famous from playing Dwight on the American version of The Office. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. He looks very different with a beard. And also with just these grander mannerisms. Yeah, like He has totally. such yeah. presence. He's messing around. He's like trying, uh, pulling out spore canisters, trying to figure out what's going on here, how this thing is working. I love how he is. He's so physical. He's so casual. I can imagine how hard it must be for them to decide to shoot him because he's like an animal. Just this is just how he happens to move. Right. And you uh, don't know. He might have, he might have had his face set to stun. You know. I mean, to be honest, kind of surprised that it took him that long to start shooting. Yeah. I mean, considering how safe the stun setting on... I know, right? So it's like no reason to just are. blast them and figure it out later, yeah. Shoot first. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wouldn't make uh, for excellent television. There's, an ex- there's a force field director, though. Turns out. Can we just jump ahead to the part where you tell me how to make these systems operational, please? And he gets increasingly desperate because, yeah, he hasn't slept in a while. That's not true. I guess that's true, yes. I mean, he is Groundhog Daying himself. Yeah. Which, I mean... He- he can't be feeling physical fatigue. I mean, there's not elevated levels of cortisol in his body. No, his body resets but, every his, time. but his brain, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, his mind's still going continuously. Because he, he retains knowledge. Yep. Him and Stamets. Stamets. Yeah. Uh, Stamets, yeah, because tardigrade DNA. Speaking of Stamets. As days go, this is a weird one. Stamets shows up behind mud and shoots him in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I just had a little thought. Is time progressing in the rest of the universe? Is this a local phenomenon, or is the entire universe resetting? Oh, I mean, they say that they are rejoining the time stream, so I assume that they're off in a little pocket universe loop, which is right. just where, where, where it's just recurring for them. Okay. But, but okay, okay, here, here's what I'm thinking. We, we find out later. Yeah. In the second to last loop, he actually contacts the Klingons. Yeah. And then he resets. And then that's undone. Oh, there's another point in it. Yes. So what I'm thinking is, is time progressing in the rest of the universe? Huh. Or maybe it's a retroactive thing. Maybe, okay, so he sends that five minutes before the end of the time loop. And if he rejoins the time stream, 
then at that point, the Klingons will have received it five minutes ago. But if he doesn't rejoin the time stream, then nothing exits their bubble. That sounds good. Or nothing has exits, exited their bubble and right. propagated into... So then that, like, the last half hour becomes the last half hour of a sort of a, a void in their local sort of yes. time experience. You know where I'm going? Yeah, yeah. My advice in making sense of temporal paradoxes is simple. Don't even try. I mean, there's, there's going to be a little point in there later as well, because, but we'll get to that point later. We will revisit this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. Stamets tries to explain to them what's happening, but he realizes, oh, there's actually not a lot yeah, of point we because run, we're... And we run out of time. I'll see you again soon. Stannis, wait! I love stay, the stay, discovery. Stay, stay, stay in line. Stay you got this, line. <laughs> you got this shot of the exterior and it sort of zooms in on what well, maybe 10 forward on the front where the, the party lights, lights are going. Are going. It's yes. so cool. Speaking of lights going, this is actually something that has happened, been happening every time in the party. It's like while the music is, the party's going, suddenly lights go dark, music stops briefly, everybody goes like, eh, what's going on? Yeah. And everything comes back on and gets going. And Burnham comments on this several times, like, it shouldn't happen. Like, we've got redundant power system. Why is this happening? And I suppose that's when the loop starts. No, I mean, that, that's... No, it can't be when the loop starts, because that's, uh, that's before the loop starts. No, Actually, be, it might... Why it not? Might, yeah. Why not? I mean, no, we see, yeah, we see yeah. the, what happens before that, but no, what happens... yeah. I guess that's the point when the loop starts. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So that's how much time Stamets has to get to the party. Because now he wants to skip all the other stuff, and he's going straight, straight yes. toward. Uh, we see him Burnham. running in, bullies his way through the crowd. There's some hot outfits here. Oh, yeah. a, a woman with a backless dress. We got some dudes in various states of undress. Oh, it was Kayla was making out with someone else in uniform. Kind of bad form to go to a party in uniform. Yeah, well, show I mean, off. I, does Burnham even have his civvies? Oh, she's got a prison jumpsuit well, that, she, yeah. <laughs> that she arrived in. But you know, I guess you could have those replicated, but I can imagine she's not the kind to do that. But yeah, Stannis comes in too late because Ash and Michael have already gone to the bridge. Yep. And we get the whole Gorman Gander thing again. Uh, and this time Lorca's polite. How about it? Yep. Stamets catches up with... Berna, don't talk, just listen. The ship is in danger. We are caught in a temporal loop. And she goes, I have it in my, in my notes, like her various faces, because she pulls four faces. Yeah. Like, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think these might be side effects of your exposure, exposure to the alien, alien DNA. DNA. It's possible we, we haven't have taken into consideration the cognitive variances. Yes, yes, yes. Please stop talking and come with me. I'll explain everything. Now, left alone with Saru, Lorca is rude about the Gormangander again. Is yes. the fish on board? Technically, it's not, not a, a fish. fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear that several times as well. <laughs> but the doctor calls the uh, captain over to sickbay. And this is the first time that we see that uh, Mud has control of the systems because it wasn't the doctor. It was Mud who is uh, calling the captain in. Do you see? There's one little detail here. Captain Lorca walks into the uh, turbo lift and says, sickbay, direct. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. It's like, it's like main ca captain override, like don't stop skip on everybody any else. Yes. Yep. <laughs> this, this one's now mine. I want to. Yeah. And he's facing mud. There's a dramatic shot between Lorca's legs where another crew person falls dead. Yes. There's so much cool, handheld, funky camera work in this episode. I adore it. It's always around mud, isn't it? It really is. Like he has this. This reality distortion field that just makes Star Trek a lot weirder. It's all about the Dutch angles. <laughs> uh, Mud is, of course, a character from the original series who, oh, an Antigonus, yes. that right. appeared a few times. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, mentioned in Star Trek Into Darkness. Is he, isn't he the treble merchant? No, that's a, that's a different film. Oh, okay. No, he's uh, big and mustachioed and also a brash uh, figure. I'm not actually familiar with those episodes, though. Oh. So I can't tell you much more about them. So, yes, uh, basically he gets him to try and explain what the deal is with the ship. And there's an area of the ship that Mud can't get into, and yeah. so he wants Lorca to open that up for him. <laughs> I suppose that's the spore. Well, that can't be the spore. No. See, Lorca has a special little retreat, a man cave, as right. uh, Where he Mud keeps, calls it. Yes. The deadliest things in the universe. Yeah. It's a shadow gallery where he now takes Mud or while uh, Stamets is trying to explain everything to Burnham again. Yes, because it ends, the exchange between Mud and the captain ends with... Computer, access self-destruct program. Accessed. Ball's in your court, captain. 
Stamets trying to talk. And he is like literally doing a Groundhog Day because he is actually taking this entire loop just to establish rapport with Burnham. Stamets it. is, yeah. Stamets, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's just like completely, he's just like, okay, well, just like, I'll give up trying to get this something done. I'm going to like use my time here to get to know Burnham, get her to tell me something that will convince herself that what I'm saying is telling the truth. Yes. And, and even there's a little dancing with her and, yeah. Is that this one? Yeah, you're right. I think that's right. this one, yeah. Wait, no, no, no. This is... Oh, the dancing's later, yeah. This is... Tell me a secret. It's something that will immediately prove to you we've had this conversation. Something you've never admitted to anyone. I promise it'll be safe with me. Which I think is structurally really valid, because mm -hmm. this, this gets you this far. Yeah. Much like in Time Amok in Prodigy, you know, one crew member gets you this far, one version of Burnham gets this far, right. and then yes. passes the ball to the next one. Um, uh, because she whispers a secret into, into his ear. And, and he yeah, says, his expression sorry. softens really. I'm, like, I'm sorry. And then she's like, where's Mud now? And he's like, oh, now it's usually the time when he's killing the captain. <laughs> oh, there's a lovely little montage where he tells the captain that he's killed him 57 times already. And it's yep. filmed so cool, even though it's, it's horrible. It's kind of hilarious as well. Do you know how many times I've had the pleasure of taking your life, Lorca? Disintegrating Lorca in different ways, in different chairs. Shooting him, like yeah, in a disintegrator and finally transporting him out into space. While eating hamburger or beignet. Yeah, what something is along it? those lines. Yes. Definitely not a beignet. Also, don't necessarily know burger. Maybe like just a ham sandwich. Oh, yeah. We'll have to see if there's anything notable on whatfoodareyeating.com or something. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. There's the Internet Movie Food Database. I mean, there is one know, for, I, like, I, firearms. I know, that that's, what I'm, that's what I'm referring to, pretty much, yes. <laughs> we had a lot of fun studying all the various models used during Battlestar Galactica oh, back yes. in the day. Oh, speaking of firearms, Mudd has picked up one from Lorca's devilish shadow gallery, where he wonders right. what it does. We does don't know that brains? yet. Yes. I, I hope think it has brains. Brain. Let's find out. And he ends up shooting. It just makes a whole... It kind of just disintegrates him by the looks of it. Oh, it's brutal. You see a bit of skull and, like, ugh, 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 ugh. Horrible weapons there. And now, st this loop, Stamets is on time, immediately runs up to, to, to Burnham, interrupts everything that she was about to... Uh... Spotted the hottest guy over there, and apparently he's in a band. Have fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shoves her over. And like... I mean, hey, if Stamets is into him, then yeah, I let's, guess, let's yeah. find out. Maybe he has an open relationship with uh, the Doctor... I mean, you can always look. True. And appreciate appreciate beauty in all its forms. Absolutely true. And he gives Burnham the, the abbreviated version and then tells her a secret that she told him. You've never been in love. And, of course, it's a shock to her, but he says, you told me that in order to prove to you, so do you believe me? And she's like, yeah, okay, I guess so. Uh, I believe you. He basically gives the quick and short description of what's going on. <laughs> and then he gets like, because if I have to explain this to you again, I'm going to throw myself out of an airlock. Like, this is implicating that this isn't the first time that they've had this conversation. That is yep. like, he, and he is indeed trying to, yeah, find the right combination. Yes, again, Groundhog Daying his, his yeah. way into. Uh, and this time he's looking for some new information to figure out what this technology is that Mud has, because in the previous loop. He heard Tyler mention that he was Mud's cellmate. Yeah. So now he wants Burnham. You talk to Tyler and find out what he knows about Mud. Here he comes. He's wearing, still wearing that lei, which is made out of plastic snowflakes by the looks of it. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. This is just after his speech. They were having this conversation during Tyler's uh, uh, very emotional speech. And instead, Ash goes to the bridge. But Burnham goes to talk to the doctor. Stamets and Burnham sort of connecting because this, yeah. Yeah, this failed. And now they're just having a chat. And I absolutely love this scene because it, it takes a break from, from all the peril that they're under because Stamets also knows we're not really in danger. Yeah, we don't have, we're not in that much of a hurry because yeah. Stamets knows that he is the missing part. He knows that Mud is never going to figure out how to operate the spore drive yeah. because Mud doesn't know that Stamets is the key component. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and nobody has told him that. And nobody will, of course. Yeah. But now Burnham gets to gets to really converse with Stamets. Now, Michael gets to talk to Paul. 
Right. Right? Sure. I just forgive me. I'm just like I'll just keep using whatever name pops into my head oh, first. Oh, of course, of course. No, absolutely fine. When I, when I suddenly ref- when, I'm, when I suddenly referring to uh, someone by their rank or by their job title, <laughs> that just means the name part of my brain is out having a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> but so like he tells her, well, you like him. That makes things a little tricky and and she says, I'm out of my element and he invites her to dance with him. Yes. Just in the middle of the corridor. He's speaking a little bit about how uh, him and his uh, husband met up. Yeah. And I love how he gives this like exasperated, will you let me lead please? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. So he was at this lovely cafe in Alpha Centauri. Oh, actually, let's let's just let him tell the story. Yes. I was in a wonderful cafe on Alpha Centauri when Three seats down comes this hideous humming. <laughs> Have you ever heard someone try to hum Cassilian opera? I can't say that I have. Well, I told him to stifle it or sit somewhere else. Instead, he sat right next to me. And he's been there ever since. After such a rude exchange, why would he do that? I told him how I really felt, and he did the same. And we like that about each other. I'm good at honesty. Never hide who you are. That's the only way relationships work. And I kind of want to sh- uh, know what Cassilian opera now sounds like. Oh, oh. So as soon as he read this script, Jeff Russo, the composer, he ran down the hallway, <laughs> screeched into the producer's office, kicked open the doors and said, you've got to let me write a Cassilian opera at some point. <laughs> it took a while, but he got his wish. Cool. And she asks him, like, how did you wind up together after that interaction? Yeah, because we were both honest and we liked that in each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, and then he's like, his pained expression when he's like, oh, we're out of time. You'll figure it out next, next loop. time. And I guess that in the next loop, we don't get to see how Stamets convinces her or what he tells her. No. Because, uh, yeah, more and more of this, because she has to be convinced every time around. Like, Stamets knows what's going on, and Stamets' information gains, but yep. that has to be conveyed every time. But the fact that she is so stoic and scientifically minded and from right. a Vulcan upbringing is a feature here. Yeah. Because there is a piece of information that he can, he can give her, or there is a, a set of, of information that is so internally consistent that she'll believe him. Yeah, although it also works on the captain later, as we learn in the final loop. Yeah. So uh, I imagine that requires some other strategies, yeah. right? Because you or I, we probably wouldn't respond to someone telling us something you know no, who else like would that. have known that well yeah you know, you, if you had access to my emails phishing whatever uh, con people you may be but there's not a lot of people that i would <laughs> right but if i said i'm from the future and i know this about you you go yeah, yeah. well i told you that like yeah. last year right yes the, the present you also knows that <laughs> we know yes <laughs> and so apparently she's now on mission and she knows that she has to do something that she really doesn't know how to do yeah Starts a little bit of dancing with Ash. Before his speech. So instead of his speech, we now get to hear... Oh, what's this song called, Chief? So that would be the fantastic song Love and Happiness by Al Green, released in 1973 in the UK, 1977 in the US. Beautiful song, soulful voice, just mm, so good. Uh, a song that is 274 years old by now. <laughs> uh, and she is the Golden Oldies playlist. Yeah, well, I mean, Star Trek, they always have an obsession with uh, 20th century music. Ash is a little bit disappointed because he thinks like, oh, we're going to get it on. This is like going in the right way. And she's being like, oh, yeah, I remember that time you were tortured in a Klingon prison. And that's how I tell you. Can you tell a- me about that? <laughs> It's such a lovely scene, and they're like dancing together, and it, it really slows down, and you can see them touching, and this is purple lighting, and then yes, oh, by the way, uh, then she says, she's never understood small talk, but yeah. she realized that relationships are built on honesty. So here it is. Harry Mudd is here, and in a few minutes, he's going to take over this ship. He wants to sell it to the Klingons. He's already trapped us in a time loop. He doesn't believe it at first. He's like, wait, is this Vulcan humor? <laughs> And she says that Stamets is aware of these loops, and he uh, uh, tried in previous loops to get that information from you, but he felt like you'd have an easier time trusting me. And right, that? yeah. Because I like you. 
Oh. And he thinks you like me too. <laughs> oh, oh. So Tyler says. So this is again like one of those like I like really like him. Do you think she likes me back? Why don't you go ask them? Because I can't ask her. Like, oh, it really like, is. It is literally little grade school uh, playground relationships with the doctor playing the uh, role of the message bearer here. And yes, you're right. But it's also like the, the advice was correct. Oh yes, because he does connect with her being honest. We. We do connect with people who are honest with it. He and says, he immediately takes advantage. Well, if this is a time loop and nothing's going to happen, like I might as well try this. And he kisses her. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if that's something that they and both want. And it goes pretty good. It is something that they Unfortunately, both want. neither of them will remember. This night's gotten weird, he says, yeah. understated significantly. <laughs> and he conveys to her the information. Yes, he Mud did mention something like like this that's related it's, to yeah they mentioned uh, the, the the Bajoran bank heist which the Betazoid bank oh Betazoid yes that was fortified. it volatile encryption molecular locks daily DNA password protection there <laughs> <Yeah>. you go <laughs> he memorized the security patterns and we see this lovely montage also of why, do just, why, why do Betazoids oh. still have banks what Betazoids why, why, why is that why do they still have banks aren't they like in the post-scarcity thing that the uh, whole no fe- all of the federation enjoys I have enjoys? no idea yeah, okay, just saying. Okay, we have no idea how money does or doesn't work, because sometimes sure. they do and they don't have money. Yeah. And, like, how does Jadzia have money to make bets with? And, like, yeah, fair uh, point. Benjamin Sisko's dad runs a restaurant. How? I mean, in a post-scarcity society, you get people who like to cook, and they make they start cooking for people, and then other people want to come to eat for them, and then... But how do you deal with the competition between people who desire a thing that is of limited... You know, there's right. limited availability. There's a uh, fun scene in uh, Look to Windward by... Um, uh, Ian Banks. Ian Banks, yes. Writer of the Ian culture M- Ian M. Banks, actually, because it's a science fiction one, so he writes also. Ah, Ian yes, M. that's Banks, right. Where there is a concert with a limited attendance, and as they pointed, and this is also a completely post-scarcity society, the culture, and it's like, yeah, it's one of those things I'd reinvent money for. <laughs> <laughs> Because sexual favors are being exchanged in, in, in for, for, t- for tickets or promises to bear children for particular people and things like that. All these like which, non- by the way, in the context of the culture is perfectly fine and like nobody has needs and there's there's no abuse taking place in this society of abundance, <laughs> yeah. fortunately. But yes, I kid, of course, and there are loads of alternatives to barter systems like our capitalist hellscape. I love seeing mud just wandering around, like knowing yes. where people are going to be, exactly. actually dancing like, around them. Like pausing again, Groundhog Daying his way through, just like waiting for the person to walk past the door. He walks into like into the elevator, taps it open, keeps on going to the next place. And Tyler says, well, he bragged about having a non-equilibrial matter state. <gasps> Time crystals, yes. says Burnham. We learned about those in yep. Vulcan. We have never been able to stabilize them. Did we see anything that we uh, had it? Well, we noticed this thing on his wrist. Oh, that's too small. So now they have a handle on what's happening. So this time, when Mud is gloating and he uses these hand gestures to beam Captain Lorca to the brig. Actually, it's like, first we get the uh, exchange where, like, where the captain is, like, has this fish beamed aboard yet? And, well, technically it's not, and it's just a look that he gives him <laughs> and it shuts. Uh, <laughs> yep. They find that they're locked out of the ship's controls yes. again. Mud and is in charge. Opera. Uh, Triumphant music playing over speakers, as the subtitles say, call it. Chief, which music is this? This is from Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. It's a prelude to Act 3, Lohegrin. It's what plays really right before the... Like, the very famous part of Ride of Valkyries that we think of. So that's what this is. Thank you. And he gloats once again because he interrupts Saru. I do not know how you rest the control, but you are in violation. Code 7.5.3, yes, you've said many times. At any rate, tell me, Lanky, have you ever seen one of these? Rain Wilson had a lot of fun coming up with nicknames for everyone. Mm. Apparently an avid ping pong player, which Mm. was a a popular downtime activity between breaks in filming that he and several others played in. And so he had a lot of fun sort of spontaneously coming up with these nicknames to keep each of these loops fresh. And now he shows off uh, what is apparently the most monstrous device in Lorca's collection. Weaponized dark matter. Of the 823 ways there are to die in space, this is rumored to be the most painful. That seems low. 
That seems really low. It's either way high or way low. Ooh. Because, you know, you have asphyxiation, disintegration, crushing. If you have it in broad categories like that, you cannot, like, 800 seems way too high. And then then you get specific, and then it's like getting stabbed by a knife in the right ventricle, getting stabbed by a knife in the left ventricle, getting stabbed by a knife through the eyeball. You know, those are, uh, you're going to get way higher than 833 ways if you're going to count it like this. I mean, that's right. Like, how many actual ways are there for, for, and and not to be super grim, right? No. Uh, Like, causes of death are there. There's loss of oxygen to the brain. Yeah. Well, eventually, they all kind of amount to that. Loss of blood. Yeah. Again, loss of oxygen to the brain. I don't know. Maybe the pressure does something. But, like, <laughs> blood loss, anoxia, what else? Maybe some type of poison. Poison. Disintegration. Poison, yeah, that'll work. Again, Actually, there's probably a lot. Yeah, but even then, it's like, not a, you're not going to get to 800. It's like there's only a few fundamental ways to die, and unless you're counting, yeah. Well, let's not let's not get it overly is, critical it is about really this. Grim. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, the weaponized dark matter uh, it rips which, molecules apart at the subatomic level. Which, if you like, use just, it on the bridge, it would probably kill anybody with all the uh, high energy particles that are suddenly blasting out from this body that is being ripped apart into subatomic particles. Yeah, and also, why would that be painful? Yeah, good point. You can't sense at that scale. Yeah. But at least, hey, this doesn't deserve a warp core dump. Because, yeah, molecules being ripped apart at the subatomic level. Weird thing to say, but not yeah. inaccurate. One of the bridge crew t- tries to charge mud. Yeah. So if any of you are planning on becoming heroes, including you, random communications officer man, you'll find there's very little I don't know. Yeah, Almost addressing him like a red that. shirt. Yes. Yeah, I know, yes. I thought that was funny. He hadn't had a name yet, but this is uh, R.A. Bryce. Uh-huh. He was the one who was speaking Welsh on the bridge during oh, the uh, right. uh, universal transport malfunction. Yeah. Went, but it's Tyler who gets zapped by the dark antimatter. Yes, because Tyler and Burnham show up on the bridge, and now Mud knows, hey, yeah. weird. you don't do this, and someone must be messing with the time stream. And he threatens them. And he throws one of these pellets at Tyler, who disintegrates. Pretty gruesome. And he basically claims that he will disintegrate everybody until he is told what... Who's cheating, Yeah, what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you are. He is, but how do I start the dungeon? And Stamets finally reaches the end of his metal. He goes like, okay, stop, stop. It's me. I can't watch you kill any more of my friends any more longer. I've had it. Yeah. And yeah, he basically caves. And it's that part. Like, he knows they're going to be reset. They're not really dead as long as the reset yeah. happening, but he can't watch it. Yeah. Because it's just too horrible to see. Kind of putting the lie to my interpretation of this as a, as a comedy, because, yeah, I know these are actors. I know that this is a, right. a, a television production. I'm having a lot of fun seeing all these various creative ways to die. But in this world, yeah, he's, he's watching people in pain and suffering. And yep. He doesn't want that. He teleports him and Stamets to the, the spore lab. Uh, and Burnham goes running to uh, the Gormangander. So do you think that this was their plan? Ooh. Because after Mud and Stamets beam away right. to the, the Spore Lab, Burnham and actually and Saru both go to their stations. And Burnham immediately like contacts Tilly mm-hmm. and gets Tilly to join her in the shuttle bay where they analyze like the strange energy readings in the Gormangander. And Tilly's still in party mode. She sobered up right quick. Yeah, I mean, it's simple, you know. Poor thing, no wonder you feel bad. Mud hid the ship inside the creature and the crystal inside the ship. This crystal, it has the same orthogonal indices as the device on Mud's wrist. That's fun technobabble, isn't it? Yes. Orthogonal <laughs> indices. Yeah, I like that. So can we uh, disable it? No, we can't. We're running out of time again. And now she decides to... What do you call it? Put a stick in the wheel. Right. They're afraid that he's not going to reset the timeline again because he now he has what he needs. He Information. Has yeah, he has Stamets. Uh, so they have to come up with something to force another restart. Yep. By showing him that there's something valuable and then destroying it yep. so that he has to go back and get it. Which is the mistake he makes. I mean, she, basically, she goes into the, uh, the captain's ready room where uh, Mud has made himself comfortable again. Is he eating again? Uh, I mean, uh, probably. The, yeah. Lorca famously had fortune cookies. Oh, A right. bowl of fortune cookies on his uh, table. I murdered Takuvma, the Klingon messiah. That's absurd. I checked the officer's manifest. You're a nobody. I'm not an officer. I'm Michael Burnham. And this is where 
Mud makes his mistake because he gets greedy. Yes, yes, sh- that's it. He should have realized that they're onto something. Yep. So he's either overconfident or he's greedy and he uh, forgets it's that. Greed. He, yeah. can't, he can't resist it. Because those are, those are his two flaws. He, he always wants more and he loves to win. Yeah. And those are the two factors that they exploit. First with greed. And she's very honest when he asks, like, why are you telling me this? Yeah. Well, well, I want Tyler back. Yep. I want and Tyler then to she be not swallows dead. another one of those pellets and she's destroyed. So he goes, oh, I'm going to have to reset anyway. Yeah. I mean, for the most painful way to die, people are taking pretty well. This is some pretty stoic people, and and she has Vulcan resistance training, but she even gives him that little sort of you eye as yeah. she's being dematerialized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, the computer says we are being hailed by the Klingons, and now he decides to reset time. So it must be the entire universe. Because mm. otherwise, when they yeah. rejoin the time stream, the Klingons would know where Discovery already is because right. they'd received that yes. information previous loop. And now we get a silent montage a yes. hard work montage. It's a I race love it against so much. time. And our crew are trying to communicate and convince each other as quickly as possible. And you can see some fiddling being done with the captain's chair, who's been convinced, while Mud is walking through the ship, hacking everything. It's make, so cool. Making his way towards the bridge. You get the first good look at his uh, Predator uh, bracelet. Oh, yes. Yes, because that's where he's kept his, uh, his that's, device. That's where he's got the controls for the device, at least, yes. Oh, uh, that's one. And as he is greeted on the bridge, it's like, well... Captain Mud. Your chair, what's happening? He's, like, rightfully suspicious. Mm-hmm. This is where he says, you've been cheating. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> the discovery of your is yours. And it's a really good sort of triple cross. Mm. Because what they want to convince Mud of is that we've looked at all the options. Yeah. And the only option we have is surrender because we want to live. Yeah, we're going to give you what you want, and we don't. We want to stop you killing people. And Mud rightfully says, "Like, hang on, that's not right. Why would you give me? I mean, I can understand why you would not want people to die, but why are you giving me these two? Then that doesn't sound right. Because um, it's much more Star Trek's thing. Like, yes, we'd rather die. All of we'd all, rather all of us die than you get two of us. So it's specific to Lorca. I will not have a repeat." Of the Baran. I've got a question. What happened there? We don't actually know. Okay. But that is presumably the moment when... Yeah, we don't need a spoiler alert alert for a show that's six years old at this point, where the crossover happened that switched or that allowed Mirror Universe Lorca to arrive in this universe. Right, that was it, yes. Because there was also an ISS Buran there, so... Mm. Mud accuses Lorca of being trying to con him. And he goes, no, no, I'm just making a negotiation. And he makes himself extremely vulnerable. He says, I need your word that you'll spare my crew. And Mud enthusiastically says, you have my word. (laughs) I've never been one to look a gift captain in the mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Again, he sits in a chair, tells the computer to send the uh, message to the Klingons. And this is when the trap is sprung. Yep. Everybody holds still. Everybody stays quiet, looking at each other while he monologues. The time stream is rejoined. The device on his wrist dissolves into nothing. A single use. There we go. And now they let him believe that he's won and that he's taken Stamets and Burnham to the transporter room to meet their new Klingon overlords. Mm -hmm. But now they pull their, oh, I guess it's, it's a big old parlor scene. I suppose so, yes. Where everybody gets a turn explaining how they tricked him. So, it wasn't about Stella. After all, it was always only about you. You keep talking about how you lost her because of the war, but her father's an arms dealer who's made a fortune off it. Finding either of them shouldn't be that difficult. And yes, basically they get him... The doctor calls him out on that. Uh, yeah, and he goes, Stella, who? Oh, 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 yes, yes, Star-Crossed Love. Oh, yes, oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sure, her father's an arms dealer, and like they're quite famous, you could easily reach them. Tyler appears with a phaser. Burnham snatches Mud's phaser, and now they have him where they want him. And for some reason, now they're monologuing at him that they understand yes. his motivation. I'm like, <laughs> what is the point of this? Why not just arrest him? But no, their punishment for this man who's murdered them 57 times, who was threatening to like destroy the Federation by depriving them of their most precious weapon in a time of war, 
is to make him face his girlfriend and his, and, and her, her dad. Her dad, yes. And okay, so this is my final point where we're uh, going to be talking about the time loop ah. because it must have been really close because. He messaged the Klingons. Yes. Uh, and as we learn later, the chair was reprogrammed to not send it to the Klingons, but to send it to Stella and her dad. Yep. Who arrive five minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Star Trek, for the longest time, has, has tried to uphold some semblance of like intergalactic distances. And yeah. even then, not very successfully, honestly. No. Only whenever, whenever it's convenient. Whenever the plot needs it. Right. But that plot need was usually for just a dip. Now we need a whole bunch of time where nothing happens, you know, yeah. waiting for the next plot beat where we can just do some filler stuff. And that's not how television is written anymore. It's not how our films are written anymore. Mm. We, don't, we don't need that filler. So, yeah, let's just skip it. We can integrate the emotional beats and the action beats a lot better. Yeah. It still it feels a little bit weird that, like, yeah, since in, in the time it takes to walk down to the transporter room, suddenly these, uh, these people arrive. I love Stella's outfit. Yeah, it's uh, purple and red, and she's like, Harcourt, where have you been? I have been so worried about you. Oh, it's been oh, such a tumultuous year. <laughs> yeah, and he does that thing that, that bad people do, which is to sort of model, okay, what does she know about how bad I am? Okay, that's yeah. how I'm... What I'm going to admit to, I'm going to say it's tragic, and I yes. try to work on myself. Well, I mean, if he screws up because, like, you know how much you meant to me. I mean, me. And you can see, I mean, yes, you can see her immediately go icy, and yes, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I wanted to crack my life, and I wanted to make it all better before I went to see you. <laughs> and she's like, oh, honey, I know what an asshole you are. And, like, <laughs> I can live with that. I only want to hear my daddy can make everything right again. Yeah, that's a horrible thought. Yeah. They were, so they're okay with a, an arms dealer who's profited from several wars, yeah. and th this is all okay? And he stands there in his little cloak and his, like, bedazzled jacket, and... And he's just, like, besotted with his daughter. I, I would, would do, do anything. anything for my daughter, for better or for worse, and for some reason she's taken to you. As for Starfleet, I don't intend to be in debt to your organization. How do I repay you? Just make sure Mr. Mudd spends the rest of his days at your daughter's side. And out of Starfleet's way. Consider it done. Which, I mean, I can understand that, like, he tried to escape from that. <laughs> <laughs> and he later would. Uh, because he appears in, uh, in the original series, which takes place after oh, of uh, course, Discovery. Yes. And away flies the weapons merchant ship, which I believe that ship it is looks, called the Festoon. It looks delightfully dorky. <laughs> <laughs> it looks uh, almost cartoonesque, that ship. I don't know why. It's... I like it. And we get a little reminiscing scene between Ash and Michael. It's like, oh, Stamets told me we danced. And it's like... Yeah, he she's told like, me that too. Can't, can't imagine that. And yeah, Tyler says, I'm a really good dancer. He said he liked it. I can't imagine why. <laughs> and now they're teasing each other a little bit, or uh, little, Tyler's teasing yeah. Burnham a little bit. And now she opens up to him again. What I'm feeling is complicated. And strange. And he says it's okay. I'm not going anywhere. Lies! Well, okay, not immediately. <laughs> and he says... I'm just sad we missed our first kiss. Aww. And now we come full circle, and Burnham's recording another log, and she says something really, really profound. Just as repetition reinforces repetition, change begets change. And she says that the truth is, we never really know what's coming. Sometimes the only way to find out where you fit in is to step out of the routine. Because sometimes where you really belong is waiting right around the corner all along. And I love yeah, it! Yes. <laughs> this whole episode... I mean, anyone who, who really dunks on a Star Trek Discovery and can't find the joy in, yeah. in this episode, I, I feel so bad for them because... You've got to have I mean, a... Yeah, what are they missing? It's like, is it not Star Trek enough? Or is it not their brand of particular what they like enough? I, I don't get it. Yeah. Everyone can like or not like what works for them, but oh, what a, what a sad world it must be <laughs> to not have something so joyful. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. One more thing. Oh! Why did we never see the threat ganglia of uh, our uh, first officer uh, come into play? They should have known that he sums things up. Oh, that's a good point. 
That's a good point. He does I won't, I won't have... Call it, I won't call it a warp cord, Dan, but it's like yeah. a little, little suspicious, like, yeah. His prescience uh, or whatever it uh, causes it. I mean, he integrates, I, like, that's my hypothesis, integrates a lot of uh, yeah, uh, sensory yes. information. So, yeah, yeah. One would have expected, certainly when he comes onto the bridge, because yeah. he is an existential threat. <laughs> Rather. <laughs> um, let's see. Anything okay. else? And now for the deleted scenes. Oh, right. Yes, where we hypothesize which scenes might have been filmed uh, based on no information at all. Do you have, have you got Okay, anything? my first thought was it's going to be like Stamets getting blazed in the uh, spore lap just before he meets. Uh, <laughs> he's got some snake weed. Right, now he's got himself a, a new strain of the mycelium and he's like, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> standing there, like basically shirt off, rubbing his hands all over his chest and like when his boyfriend comes walking in they're going like, what's wrong with you? I feel so amazing. It's so amazing. Eyes really wide, like <laughs> chewing like, on a lollipop. It's like, he's <laughs> like Dr. Tiana in yeah. the box. <laughs> Eyes like saucers. Yeah. Either that or a, a scene where we see having basically the uh, recreation of the alarm clock scene from Groundhog Day. Oh, with, no. But with, yeah. mud, with mud start of every loop. You never get to see that. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's that like for him? Yeah, I do imagine. Like, good morning, campers. Here we go again. It's like, one day I'm going to learn to, like, not have something irritating like that happen right at the beginning of my loops. Oh. Okay, mine's an unconventional one. Okay. Because my deleted scenes are all of the footage from the eight weeks that they filmed this episode over and over and over again. Uh-huh. Before somebody realized, hey, we only need to film the scenes that are different. <laughs> and so they look yeah. at this gigantic 960 page script that is the same thing over and over again oh, with minus cracky, yeah. oh we forgot about editing oh why did we forget about why, oh, we're so far over budgets how do we do this <laughs> delete them all delete them all we can't let we can't let Paramount find, find out, out we spent so much money <laughs> nine weeks it of was, our lives. it was supposed to be cheap <laughs> If only they'd had a chief engineer as competent as our chief engineer, Greg. Yes, indeed. And so there's only one thing left to do. I'm leaving Star Trek. Energize! <laughs> it's Starfleet! Starfleet, damn it! Energize! Energize! Get out of here! We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with the friends Kay and Kaki. Production and editing by chief engineer Greg and music by Fox Amore. Join us next time for DS9 Season 2 Episode 4, Invasive Procedure. Visit joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, or to find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there. <laughs>